This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Matt, you and I have talked about data protection, data privacy a fair amount on this podcast. You write about this consistently. But my first question is, why is the CFPB issuing a warning on data protection and why is it called a circular? So, yeah, this is an interesting item from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Last week, they put out this piece of guidance. It is called a circular because it's not actually intended for compliance officers per se. It is. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into a recent CFPB circular, which lays out minimum requirements for data protection controls in an organization and take a look at how this will impact compliance and potential enforcement down the road. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. But first, quick message from our sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of Radical Compliance. Today, we're going to co- take a look at the CFPB warning on data protection that Matt wrote about last week. So, Matt, first of all, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, you and I have talked about data protection, data privacy a fair amount on this podcast. You write about this consistently. But my first question is, why is the CFPB issuing a warning on data protection and why is it called a circular? So, yeah, this is an interesting item from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Last week, they put out this piece of guidance. It is called a circular because it's not actually intended for compliance officers per se. It is more an internal document that the CFPB is circulating among its enforcement staff that they are more than happy to share with others, such as compliance officers and legal officers, what the CFPB's internal enforcement people are thinking about and their position on various issues, such as data protection. So what they did was they issued this circular about how proper safeguards for consumer data protection are actually within the CFPB's purview as a matter of the Consumer Financial Protection Act. So that is a long-winded way of saying the CFPB now believes that if a company handling financial data or personal data for financial services firms, if they have poor data protection that is going to expose the consumer to harm. So therefore, that company is liable for enforcement under consumer protection law 
as defined by the Consumer Financial Protection Act. There might be some listeners who will say, tell me something I don't know, aren't financial firms supposed to protect consumer data? So yes, they are. Banks already do this under the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. This circular clearly is intended for all of the other related parties, third parties, covered entities that are providing services to the banks. So you do data storage, you do payroll, you do whatever else for a financial firm. If you are part of their covered entities, then you have to think about data safeguard, data protection safeguards in the same way the bank does. I suppose this could be analogous to, say, HIPAA with its protections for healthcare data. Who are the primary regulated entities under HIPAA? It's healthcare systems. But HIPAA has all these other covered entities and business partners where HIPAA protection rules extend out to them. Same concept applied to financial data and firms that are supplying services to financial firms and banks and whatnot. So if you are a covered entity, then you suddenly now have these new data protection obligations. Matt, there were three security controls discussed in the circular. And frankly, you and I have been discussing one or more of these for quite some time, and I have used some of these for almost 15 years. So you've been talking about multi-factor authentication for years. Password management at Halliburton in 2006, I had to change my password every 90 days. And then timely software updates is as has been around as long as there has been software. So why are we seeing a circular in 2022 on these three, what should be pretty basic security measures? That is something that caught my eye. It was interesting that the CFPB actually outlined these three specific controls that you should have. Now, to be clear, the circular does not say thou covered entities must have these three controls. They define it more in the negative, that these are the sort of things that we would be expecting companies to have. And if they don't, then you are at, how do they phrase it? That might increase the risk that a firm's conduct triggers liability under the Consumer Protection Act. So that's a long-winded way of saying, if you want to avoid liability, then you really should have these three controls in place. And they are, Tom, as you had mentioned, multi-factor authentication, password management, and timely software updates. Now, again, the circular doesn't say how are you supposed to use them. It's not a very prescriptive, bright-line thing. And that would vary from one covered entity to another, depending on what's the data that you have, what's the software you're using, what are the T systems and process integrity controls you already have in place. They're not going to say something like, every covered entity must have password updates every 30 days. Although I've seen that in a lot of financial firms that kind of is merged as the rule that you have to have a password of what is it, eight to 15 characters and updated every 30 or 60 days. But the circular doesn't specify that. It just says you should have that. You should also have multi-factor authentication and you should have timely software updates. That would include... Uh, And this is something where the circular goes into a bit of detail on what a good use of this would actually look like. 
Again, they don't get into specifics, but more here are the traits we'd expect to see. So timely software updates would require you to have something like asset inventories, where you actually know what software apps you're running. Their dependencies, which is how does one bit of software interact with another? Let's say you use Workday for your HR and human capital software needs, but you use Workday for that, but occasionally it intersects with your critical data in your SAP system. So that's one dependency. How many dependencies do you have and have you mapped them all out? Have you understood what the patch management processes are for all of these softwares, the systems that you're using? And for a lot of it, it's going to be, you're not really using software you buy and install. These days, most businesses are running a lot of software on a rental basis from a third party provider. So you would need this provider of data storage or Workday, the provider of HR software. How do they have updates? When do they get the updates? When they send me an update, how do I ensure that I'm actually getting it updated everywhere it needs to go? Am I testing that patch? You don't specifically have to do that. CFPB does not say you must test every patch that comes in, but it is a good practice that a lot of companies would need to think about. So that's one example. Multi-factor authentication, again, is another one that you need to think through where you would implement multi-factor authentication. What are the password update policies you want? Fun fact, I have a bit of IT arcane lore here, but if you have a very long password, you don't actually need to update it all that often because it is harder for automated systems to crack once they are longer than, I think, 16 characters. If I had a 16-character password, I'd never be able to remember it. But anyways, you could think through what are the passwords we want? And therefore, what would the update po policies make sense for our organization? But anyways, if you, don't, if you don't have these three things, then the CFPB is saying, if you have a breach, we will be more likely to go after you under civil liability and you might face more penalties. So read between the lines, they're really telling firms serving banks and financial services sector, implement these three controls. That's the message. I never understood why people had two children. Now I do. So you can get a 16 characters in your There you go. Pat, where do you think the two of the biggest components of an anti-corruption compliance program would fit around this? And I want to start with risk assessment, then go to the other side, which would be auditing or monitoring. Do we have organizations or individuals from the audit field who can do a risk assessment and then after a program is put in place, successfully monitor or even audit it in your Yeah, opinion? sure. If you are a sufficiently large organization where you might have not just an audit function, but specifically some IT auditors on staff within the internal audit function, and that would be their job is to look specifically at cybersecurity risks in your IT system and try and map out where are these risks, how severe are they, and what would a good control be. Easy case in point might be something like you are a financial services firm, you sell insurance to consumers, and you do that by using an outside sales force of independent contractors, and they log into a portal to get your you, the insurance firm, to get your juicy customer data and their sales leads. There's a big risk right there. If there were any intersection that would say multi-factor authentication every single time, that would be it. If you have an outside sales force logging into your corporate database, 
have multi-factor authentication right there. They might look at something like the password reset policies. And the reason I'm picking up on this example is the SEC has actually enforced specifically on that issue. There was an insurance firm that let outside sales teams log in remotely through a database portal. They had some pretty sloppy reset password, password reset policies, and they got hacked two times. And by the second time, the SEC took an enforcement action over its own safeguards rule. That is exactly the sort of scenario that I could see the CFPB now jumping in with both feet on something like that. So now you would have a second enforcement action. But anyways, to get back to your original question, yeah, you would absolutely do risk assessments around this and try and determine where there are the greatest risks of the personal data being jeopardized and what are the appropriate controls to put in place either around the data or around the database or kind of choke points at a process like you're logging into the portal to get to the data, drop a multi-factor authentication requirement right there. IT auditors would be able to do a lot of that. And if you don't have them on staff, there are plenty of audit firms who do this for a hourly fee, and uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to have their conversation with the company. I was actually, while listening to you, thinking this is really moving more from a technical discussion to I see this as a corporate governance discussion, and that moves it for me to the G and ESG. Is this something that you think with this type of circular is going to allow a company to, to elevate this discussion so that the board starts demanding these minimum basic safety standards? Uh, one would certainly hope so. In fact, that kind of gets to if we want to treat IT security and cybersecurity risk this issue, really what you'd be ideally the board and the CISO and say the head of sales at our hypothetical insurance firm, they would all sit down and say, do we really want to do this? Do we really want to have our sales team be a bunch of independent contractors where we save a lot on overhead costs, but we would have more cybersecurity controls to bake in, and we might potentially face more liability from more agencies if we have a breach. Or do we want to bring things back in-house? And you would have to start tailoring your sales strategy based on the cybersecurity risks. That is exactly to a T what the SEC wants companies to start talking more about in these annual cybersecurity disclosures that the agencies, they're going to adopt any day now. I don't know if it's this month or next month, but sometime soon. And one of the big requirements would be, please disclose in the annual report how the board thinks about cybersecurity when setting strategy, how management thinks about cybersecurity risk and the policies and procedures it puts in place to govern those risks specifically around third parties. That gets mentioned in the proposal from the SEC. And I don't see why that wouldn't stick into whatever final version gets adopted. So yeah, there are definitely ways that you could and should elevate the discussion around what are we doing as a business? Why are we taking these businesses? And what are the cybersecurity risks going down that road? And how do we then control them? You could talk about that till the cows come home. My insurance portal sales team example is just one simple one. But ultimately, that is where I think a lot of regulators, especially in the financial sector, would like companies to go, is to think about it in just those terms. One of the more aggressive regulators in this space has been the state of New York Department of Financial Services, which also yep. regulates insurance. Do you see not application 
of the CFPB circular, but companies who would follow the prescripts as then protecting or at least following the guidelines of the DFS? Or do you feel those to be more robust as well? They're very similar. And we have seen enforcement actions where DFS has sanctioned companies for, say, not having multi-factor authentication when you were supposed to. And then you certified to DFS that you had complied with the law, but you didn't have multi-factor authentication. So your certification was faulty. And now that has already happened. And Tom, I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about that on prior podcasts. So there is a lot of overlap between what, say, DFS wants, what the CFPB is warning you about, what the SEC will likely want you to do, your GDPR compliance. And now you can start to see that this is going to be more of a ERC capability challenge. Like in theory, you would have a tool that could map out all of the regulatory demands or suggestions from the CFPB, but you can map all of that out and you could find, okay, there's about 19,000 different agencies that are stressing the importance of multi-factor authentication. We have multi-factor authentication in five spots, but not in another six. And now we need to implement them in the other six so that we can have MFA and get that knocked out across the board in all 19,000 regulatory frameworks Now we've solved it all. That's where you're going to need to have to go with this is a lot of mapping of your data, mapping of your controls, mapping the controls you have to the regulatory requirements that you're facing, a lot of which will overlap. Could you have one control satisfy three or four different regulatory burdens? Yes, you could. The challenge is, do you have the right tools to help bring all of that to light? And that's what all of these GRC software vendors who keep emailing a lot of listeners, like that's what the sales pitch is all about for these vendors. They're talking about their GRC mapping capabilities, helping you escalate with controls you don't have so you can insert them. Like regardless of which ones are good, bad, or otherwise at doing the job, those are the capabilities we all need as cybersecurity and privacy issues keep pressing forward. Matt, given the amount that we have discussed these and other issues around data protection in the past, I think we're going to be able to visit about this in the future. I strongly suspect so, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. I've linked to Matt's blog post on this subject matter in our show notes. I'd like to tell you about a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files, where with my co-host, Mike DeBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, we take a look at some of the most significant FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years in the modern era of anti-corruption and FCPA enforcement. It's a great retrospective on some of the most significant enforcement actions. So check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Corruption Files. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.